Episode 25, Common Law, Uncommon Currency. Scene, a sweeping manor house in Sheffield, England. The home of Richard Atwood is an amalgamation of old English architecture and modern technology, reflecting the wealth and power of its owner. The Bitcoin price tickers flicker across multiple screens in the background. Enter Richard Atwood, alone, absorbed in the dancing numbers. He is a man caught between two worlds, the old and the new, the traditional and transformative. Atwood, soliloquy. Ever since I was a child, I was taught to respect property. My father, rest his soul, said, Richard, property is the cornerstone of freedom. And Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the epitome of that freedom, an asset like no other, unseen, untouchable, yet more real than the wealth stored in the cold, echoing vaults of banks. A knock at the door, enter three industrialists, contemporaries and rivals of Atwood. Atwood, to the industrialists, welcome gentlemen, you're just in time to discuss the future. They gather around a grand table, laden with fine wine and rich food. Discussion ensues about the transformational power of Bitcoin and how it can be used to challenge traditional finance and tax laws. Atwood. Do you feel it, gentlemen? The tides of change are upon us. The days of bending to the winds of the treasury are numbered. Bitcoin is the key. It's our property yet they treat it as currency. Industrialist one, but Richard, the risk, HMRC won't take this lightly. Atwood, they can only chase shadows in the blockchain. We're not breaking the law. We're simply stepping into the new world. Their meeting is interrupted by a phone call. Atwood listens, his expression hardening. Atwood, to himself. So, they are coming. Let them come. I've been preparing for this. The manor is a flurry of activity. Atwood flips through legal papers as discussions of English common law echo through the room. Atwood, soliloquy. Is it a crime to seek freedom from oppressive tax laws? Is it a crime to exploit the nature of Bitcoin, a shape-shifting asset a property here, a legal tender elsewhere. They want to chain what they can't understand, but chains are meant to be broken. Let them come. A knock at the door. Enter Isabel Lewis, a stern solicitor from His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Lewis, good day, Mr. Atwood. We seem to have an issue regarding your tax contributions. Atwood, smiling. Ah, Miss Lewis, I see the hounds have indeed arrived. Come, let us speak of this issue you speak of. Scene, Atwood and Lewis move to a spacious study, filled with books on English common law and screens displaying Bitcoin data. Lewis, Mr Atwood, it appears that there are inconsistencies in your tax contributions. Can you explain the influx of wealth 
with no associated tax payments. Atwood chuckles. Ah, the mysteries of the digital age. The wealth you speak of, Miss Lewis, is Bitcoin, property, according to our own H.M. Treasury's decree. Lewis. Indeed, Mr. Atwood, but even property is subject to tax, and it appears your property has been increasing substantially. Atwood. Miss Lewis, Bitcoin is an elusive beast. It's property here, and yet a legal tender in distant lands. The beauty of decentralization, don't you agree? Lewis. This is not about decentralization, Mr. Atwood. This is about fairness, about everyone playing by the same rules. Atwood. Ah, but who sets these rules, Miss Lewis? And who's to say these rules aren't meant to be broken, or at least bent? Lewis. Mr. Atwood, the rules are set by those elect to govern to ensure society functions equitably. They aren't meant to be broken or even bent for personal advantage. Atwood. Equitable, you say? When was the last time you saw those in power concerned with equity? They are concerned with control. Bitcoin threatens that control, doesn't it? Lewis. Bitcoin or not, Mr. Atwood, the law does not change. You've made income. Taxes are owed. This is how we maintain our society. Atwood. A society where progress is penalised and innovation is stifled. Taxes, Miss Lewis, are an invention of the old world, the world of tangible property and visible transactions. But we've moved past that. Bitcoin is a new world. You can't tax a revolution. Lewis. A revolution or not, it still operates within this world, Mr. Atwood. And in this world, there are rules. You'll have your day in court, and the law will decide. Atwood laughs. Indeed it will, Miss Lewis, and I look forward to it. Exit Lewis. Atwood is left alone in his study, gazing at the flickering numbers on the screen. The stage dims as he murmurs to himself, Atwood, soliloquy. The battle lines are drawn, the old and the new, the tangible and the intangible, the controlled and the free. Let the law decide. The revolution has only just begun. Atwood, returning to the grand table, then speaks. Gentlemen, the game has begun. Miss Lewis and her hounds are on my trail. Industrialist 1. And what do we do now, Richard? What if they come for us, too? Atwood. We stand our ground. We don't just own Bitcoin. We own an idea. An idea of freedom, of revolution. They can't tax that. Industrialist 2. But Richard, we can't fight the government. We're businessmen, not revolutionaries. Atwood stands, looks at each man at the table. That's where you're wrong. We are revolutionaries. The moment we embraced Bitcoin, we challenged the system. The moment we took the orange pill and divorced ourselves from common power structures, 
We rebelled. Atwood paces the room, his passion and determination lighting up the grand surroundings. Atwood. It's not just about the money. It's about the principle. If we win, we're not just saving on our taxes. We're changing the world. We're proving to the government, to the people, that there's a way out. That the old rules don't have to apply. That we can choose how to define our own assets. Our own freedom. He turns back to the men at the table. Gentlemen, we have an opportunity to do something bigger than ourselves here. If we're acquitted, we're not just escaping a few taxes. We're setting a precedent. We're challenging the government's right to dictate the terms of our wealth. This isn't just about us. It's about the future. They listen to Atwood, the silence in the room reflecting the weight of his words. Atwood takes his seat once again, the conviction in his eyes burning brighter than ever. Atwood, are you with me? The industrialists share uneasy glances before one of them finally musters the courage to voice his concern. Industrialist one. Richard, this is a huge gamble. You're not just talking about bending tax laws, you're talking about a revolution. Atwood nods. Exactly. We're on the cusp of something monumental here. Industrialist too, shaking his head. But we're not revolutionaries, Richard. We're businessmen. We're not equipped to go up against the government. The risk is just too great. Atwood scans their faces, his expression steady. Atwood. So you're afraid? That's natural. But remember, gentlemen, every significant change in history came with risk. Industrialist three sighs. Maybe so, but this, Richard, we could lose everything. Atwood, leaning forward. And we could also gain a new world. A world where we aren't shackled by punitive taxes. A world where we can exercise our right to our own property without fear. But if you're not with me, I understand. They exchange looks, and the room fills with a tense silence. Industrious one. Richard, we respect your ambition, truly, but we can't join you in this. The stakes are just too high. One by one, the others voice their agreement. Atwood looks at them, disappointment evident in his eyes, but he nods. Atwood, very well, I stand alone. The men rise from the table, leaving Atwood alone in the room. He watches them go, then turns back to the screens, displaying the constant flicker of Bitcoin prices. Atwood, soliloquy, change. It's a daunting prospect, even for men who've built their empires on the cusp of it. But it's not just about change, is it? It's about creating a world better than the one we have. A world where our rights to our own property aren't infringed upon by punitive taxation. A world where the law isn't an iron collar around our necks, but a shield that protects our rights and freedoms. A world where the people don't live in fear of the government, but where the government respects the will of the people. He pauses, gazing at the flickering numbers on the screen. 
What we are doing with Bitcoin, it's more than making money. It's an opportunity to restructure our society, to shift the balance of power, by changing the norms, by disrupting the status quo. We are sowing the seeds of a revolution, a revolution that, I dare say, is long overdue. He stands walking over to the window, looking out at the expanse of a state that stands as a testament to his wealth and power. But revolutions aren't fought in unison. They're fought by those with the courage to stand alone, to face the storm, to challenge the very essence of the world as we know it. He turns back to the room, resolve etched on his face. Fix the money, fix the world. It sounds like a fanciful slogan, but it's more than that. It's a chance to reclaim our freedom, to reclaim the power that has been usurped from us. The industrialists, they see the risk. They see the potential for loss. But what they fail to see is the potential for a world that is more just, more fair and more free. He pauses, looking once more at the screens, the flickering numbers reflecting in his eye. And if I must stand alone to bring about that world, then so be it. The revolution starts here, here, in this room with me. And it starts now. End of scene. Scene. Atwood's study. Enter Edward Garrick, a sharp, seasoned lawyer, known for his expertise in English common law and Bitcoin. Atwood rising from his chair to shake hands. Garrick, good to see you. I trust you're familiar with my predicament. Garrick nods. I've read the reports, Richard. This is a groundbreaking case. If we win, we might just change the world. Atwood, that's the plan. What are our odds? Garrick, well, Richard, English common law is uncharted territory when it comes to Bitcoin. But we have a strong argument. Bitcoin, according to HM Treasury, is property. Atwood, but they're also arguing its income. How do we counter that? Garrick, we argue for the freedom to define our assets. If Bitcoin is treated as property, it should be subject to the laws governing property, not income. Atwood. And the fact it's legal tender elsewhere? Garrick. That might complicate things for them. But remember, we're not arguing against the legality of Bitcoin. We're arguing against the state's interpretation of the taxation of it. Atwood. Good. I want the jury to see this. I want them to understand that this is more than tax laws. This is about the future of our society. Garrick. Indeed, Richard, and that's exactly the case we'll present. A case not just for you, but for the potential of Bitcoin and the promise of a fairer future. Atwood. Let's delve deeper, Garrick. We need to know the battlefield inside out. What do you anticipate from the prosecution? Garrick. From HMRC? Well, They'll be determined to paying Bitcoin as a tool for tax evasion. They'll highlight the ambiguity of Bitcoin's status to show its potential for misuse. 
They may even try to portray you as an opportunist, bending the laws for personal gain. Atwood. But Bitcoin is more than a tool, more than just an asset. It's a symbol of progress. It's a new form of liberty. Garrick. Exactly. And that's our narrative. We present Bitcoin not as a vehicle for wealth, but as a medium for change. We show them the promise of a new economic system, one that isn't tethered to the whims of governments and central banks. Atwood. And the jury. How do we make them see this vision? Garrick. Pausing to consider. The jury will be our biggest challenge and greatest opportunity. They represent the people, Richard. If we can make them understand the implications of this case beyond the courtroom, we can create a ripple effect. We need to appeal not just to their sense of justice, but also to their sense of imagination. Atwood. A sense of a world unshackled from the current fiscal system. Garrick. Yes, a world where power returns to the hands of the people, where money is not a means of control, but a tool for freedom. Atwood, then we march into the battlefield, Garrick, ready to fight for that world. They share a determined look. It's more than just a court case. It's a fight for the future. End of scene. Scene, the austere office of HMRC. Solicitor Isabel Lewis is speaking with her team of lawyers. Their expressions are serious, reflecting the gravity of the case at hand. Isabel Lewis. Let's be clear. This isn't just about one man evading taxes. This is about maintaining the integrity of our financial system. Lawyer 1. But Bitcoin isn't technically illegal, Isabel. It's considered property. Isabel Lewis. Yes, but Atwood's interpretation has gone beyond that. He's using it to bypass our taxation laws. This cannot stand. Lawyer 2. Will the jury see it that way, though? It's a complex issue, and Garrick is a master of twisting narratives. Isabel Lewis. We have to ensure they see it our way. Atwood is portraying himself as a revolutionary, a saviour of the economy. But what he's really doing is exploiting loopholes for personal gain. Lawyer 3. We need to focus on the law. Bitcoin may be property, but Atwood is using it as income. Taxable income according to current laws. But there is no way around the cryptography. We cannot issue a warrant against a bank. We need a criminal conviction and imprisonment of Atwood to deter others. Even if we cannot reclaim any actual Bitcoin, we need the jury to send out a message. We need to show the jury the importance of taxes in supporting our infrastructure and social services. Isabel Lewis. Correct. We need to paint the bigger picture. Show them that by allowing Atwood to evade taxes, we're compromising on everything from education to healthcare. Lawyer 1. And remind them of the volatility of Bitcoin. Its lack of regulation makes it a risky asset. Not everyone can afford to play this high-stakes game. Isabel Lewis. Absolutely. We'll not let this be about Atwood against the government. This is about protecting the integrity 
of our financial system, the welfare of our people and the rule of law. We stand for the people. Atwood stands for his own wealth. Isabel Lewis We must anticipate Garrett's move. He'll argue the freedom to define assets. He'll paint Bitcoin as a symbol of progress and liberation. Lawyer 2 He's going to try to appeal to their imaginations. Make them believe they're on the cusp of a revolution. Isabel Lewis Exactly. And that's why we need to anchor them to reality. The reality that societies need taxes to function, to care for their citizens. The reality that not everyone can afford to gamble on volatile assets like Bitcoin. Lawyer 3. We can also remind them of the potential misuse of Bitcoin, not just for tax evasion, but for other illicit activities. Its unregulated nature makes it a tool ripe for misuse. Isabel Lewis. Yes, we need to balance their view, show them both the promise and peril of Bitcoin. The jury needs to understand that we're not against progress. We're against irresponsibility and unchecked power. Lawyer 1. And we need to dismantle Atwood's image, show him not as a visionary, but as a man exploiting a loophole for his own gain. Isabel Lewis. That's crucial. We need to reveal the man behind the curtain. This isn't David versus Goliath. This is an opportunist versus the law. They each nod, recognising the monumental task ahead. They know they must succeed, for the integrity of the law and for the safety of their society. Isabel Lewis Alright team, let's prepare. We have a trial to win. End of scene. Scene opens in a bustling courtroom. The murmur of anticipation is palpable as spectators, journalists and the legal teams take their positions. The courtroom is a mix of tradition and technology. The oak-panelled walls and high ceilings contrast with screens showing real-time transcriptions and digital evidence displays. Bailiff calls for silence as the judge, an old hand with a stern countenance, enters and takes his seat. Bailiff. All rise. The Court of King's Bench is now in session. The Honourable Judge Alastair Pennington presiding. Judge Pennington. Be seated. Case number 2323CR1876. The Crown versus Richard Atwood. Is the prosecution ready? Isabel Lewis standing. Yes, Your Honour. Isabel Lewis for the Crown. Judge Pennington. Thank you, Ms Lewis. And the defence? Edward Garrick, rising. Edward Garrick for the defence, Your Honour. Judge Pennington. Very well, Miss Lewis. You may begin your opening statement. Isabel Lewis. Thank you, Your Honour. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we are here today because the defendant, Richard Atwood, a wealthy industrialist has exploited the ambiguous nature of Bitcoin to avoid paying his fair share of taxes. Her voice echoes through the courtroom as the gravity of the case begins to set in. Isabel Lewis continuing. He cloaks his actions under the guise of progress. But let us not be deceived. This is not about changing the world. 
This is about avoiding his responsibilities to our society, to you, and to the countless others whose lives are improved by public services our taxes fund. She pauses, her gaze sweeping across the jury. Isabel Lewis. The defence will argue about the freedom to define assets, the promise of a new economic order. But at the heart of it, this is about fairness, about each citizen fulfilling their obligation, regardless of their wealth or status. The courtroom is silent, absorbing her words. She returns to her seat. Judge Pennington. Thank you, Ms Lewis. Mr Garrick, your opening statement, please. Edward Garrick, rising. Thank you, Your Honour. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this trial is indeed about fairness. It's about challenging the way we see our world and the laws that govern it. He turns to face the jury, his eyes filled with conviction. Edward Garrick. Richard Atwood is not a criminal seeking to evade his responsibilities. He is a visionary recognising the promise of a new kind of asset, Bitcoin. He's not shunning his societal duties. He's asking us to redefine them in the face of a rapidly changing world. The atmosphere in the courtroom is charged. The jury attentive. The trial promises to be unlike any they've witnessed before. Edward Garrick continuing. Despite the layers of complexity, the heart of this trial lies in a simple question. Has Richard Atwood broken any laws? Our taxation laws, ladies and gentlemen, are based on definitions and categories that have existed for centuries. But now we find ourselves in a time where new assets, new forms of property exist. Assets that our existing laws have yet to fully comprehend. He moves closer to the jury, his tone persuasive. Edward Garrick, Bitcoin, as per His Majesty's Treasury, is defined as property. Richard Atwood has treated it as such. The Crown, however, wishes to impose upon him a different interpretation of Bitcoin status, one that has yet to be legally established. Is it fair to penalise a man for following the existing law while our government struggles to understand new concepts? I implore you to consider this. He takes a step back, his statement resonating in the silent courtroom. Edward Garrick, the task that lies before you is not to determine if my client is a visionary or an opportunist, but simply to judge whether he has broken the law as it stands today. With this, he returns to his seat. The jury is left pondering the seemingly simple yet deeply complex question. Isabel Lewis, rising. Your Honour, Mr Garrett's portrayal of the matter is indeed compelling. It pulls at our collective sense of fairness, but it also veils the true nature of this case. While it's true Bitcoin is defined as property, it's also true that our defendant has used Bitcoin as an income source, a source that is legally taxable and that he has not paid tax on it. He does not dispute this. If he argues that it is property and not income, then he owes HMRC capital gains tax. She looks directly at the jury, her tone firm and clear. 
Property that appreciates in value, property that is traded for profit, falls under the realm of capital gains. It is subject to taxation. The law is not ambiguous here. Mr Atwood, in his extravagant vision for a new world order, has simply chosen to ignore this fact. She pauses, allowing her words to sink in. We are not here to penalise a man for following existing laws. We are here to hold a man accountable for skirting those laws to serve his personal interests. The task before you is not to judge the potential of Bitcoin or the veracity of Mr Atwood's grand vision. Your task is to determine if a citizen can selectively adhere to the laws based on his personal interpretation of them. She returns to her seat, leaving behind a potent argument that challenges the defence's narrative. Edward Garrick, rising. Your Honour, while Ms Lewis's argument is indeed rooted in our current understanding of the laws, it overlooks a crucial fact. Bitcoin is not just an asset, it is legal tender in the nation of El Salvador. As such, its exchange can be seen as a forex trade, and therefore not subject to capital gains tax. He turns to address the jury, his voice steady. The uniqueness of Bitcoin, its ability to act both as an asset and a currency, is not represented in our current laws. But does that mean we should penalise those who see the potential in this duality? Should we fault a man for being ahead of his time, for understanding the evolving nature of our global economy. He takes a moment, allowing his words to resonate. Edward Garrick. Richard Atwood saw the potential in Bitcoin, not to evade taxes, but to engage in a new form of trade. If our laws have yet to catch up to this reality, it is not his failing, but ours. We must not castigate visionaries for our own lack of foresight. With a final glance at the jury, Garrick returns to his seat. His argument has posed a significant challenge to the prosecution's stance. Judge Pennington. Thank you, Mr Garrick. The court will adjourn for the day. We will reconvene tomorrow morning. The judge rises, the courtroom following suit. As the public and the legal teams start to filter out, the air is thick with contemplation. End of scene. Back in their private quarters, Garrick and Atwood discussed the day's proceedings. Edward Garrick. Richard, we've positioned your case well. The jury seems respective. The jury seems receptive. But we must anticipate the prosecution's counter-arguments. Richard Atwood. They're going to attack Bitcoin's status as legal tender in El Salvador, aren't they? Edward Garrick. Precisely. They will argue that the currency status is limited to one nation, hence cannot redefine its overall nature as an asset. We will need to construct a compelling argument to counter this. End of scene. Opens in the bustling courtroom once again. Isabel Lewis rises as the court reconvenes, ready to counter Garrett's argument from the previous day. Isabel Lewis. Your Honour, while we recognise Bitcoin's status as legal tender in El Salvador, it is crucial to understand 
that this does not change its status as property in the United Kingdom, as per His Majesty's Treasury. The status of Bitcoin in another jurisdiction cannot nullify or alter its categorization here. She turns to face the jury. Mr. Atwood is not being charged with tax evasion in El Salvador. He is facing these charges in the United Kingdom under the laws of this land. It is these laws that he has allegedly violated, not those of El Salvador. She lets her words hang in the air, then returns to her seat, confident that she has effectively rebutted Garrick's argument. Judge Pennington. Thank you, Ms. Lewis. Mr. Garrick, your response. Edward Garrick, rising. Your Honour, Ms. Lewis is correct. We are indeed under the jurisdiction of British law. But British law is based on principles. And one of those principles is the recognition of foreign legal systems. He moves towards the jury. Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador. To disregard this fact is to disregard the principles upon which our laws are founded. My client engaged in a legitimate forex transaction recognised by a sovereign nation. If our laws have not updated to reflect this new reality, then it is the law that needs to evolve, not my client who needs to be penalised. Moreover, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the fact that Bitcoin serves as both an asset and a currency is an unprecedented situation. It's not a circumstance foreseen by our existing laws. Yet, that does not mean we resort to rigid interpretations, punishing those who have embraced this novelty. He pauses, allowing his words to echo in the silent courtroom. Richard Atwood didn't disregard the law. He found a new pathway, one that our laws hadn't foreseen. Is it fair to punish someone for our lack of foresight? Or should we see this as an opportunity, an indication that it's time for our laws to evolve, to expand and to accommodate the changing landscape of our global economy? Garrett's question hangs heavy in the courtroom. His defence has shifted from arguing about the specifics of the law to questioning the fairness and adaptability of the law itself. In this courtroom, we have the power to set a precedent, to acknowledge that our world is changing and our understanding of property, currency and taxation must change with it. Isabel Lewis, rising. Your Honour, while we respect the defence's impassioned argument, it misses a crucial point. Our laws must indeed adapt, but until they do, we are bound by their current diktats. The world is changing, yes, but the law, as it stands, is what we must abide by. She looks to the jury, making sure to make eye contact with each member. And according to the current law, Mr. Atwood's Bitcoin holdings, which he traded for a profit, are considered an asset 
and are liable to capital gains tax. He chose to disregard this. This is not about punishing innovation or penalising foresight. This is about ensuring that all citizens, regardless of their wealth or their vision, adhere to the laws of our society. She takes a moment, allowing her words to resonate. Isabel Lewis Until our laws change, we cannot excuse those who sidestep them under the pretext of change and progress. We owe it to our society, to you, to ensure that every citizen fulfils their obligation. She returns to her seat, leaving behind a solemn silence that underlines the weight of her argument. Edward Garrick, rising. Your Honour, if we may delve deeper into the heart of our legal tradition, we are guided by a principle fundamental to English common law. Everything which is not forbidden is allowed. This principle reminds us that unless something is expressly prohibited by law, it is not illegal. He walks towards the jury, his words resonating in the silent courtroom. Our laws do not expressly forbid the treatment of Bitcoin as a currency for the purpose of forex trading. In the absence of explicit prohibition, we return to the bedrock of our legal system, presumption of liberty. He pauses, looking each juror in the eye. Richard Atwood did not sidestep the law. He stepped into an uncharted territory, not yet demarcated by the law. Does that make him a criminal or a pioneer? That, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is the question you must answer. End of scene. Scene shifts to a private office where Isabel Lewis and her legal team are in a heated discussion. Isabel Lewis pacing. Garrett's argument is potent. He's not just defending Atwood, he's challenging the very foundation of our laws. It's a crafty move, one that could sway the jury. Assistant 1. But our case is strong too. Atwood did evade taxes, and the jury knows this. Isabel Lewis. Yes, but we're not just fighting a tax evasion case here. We're battling against the notion of progress, against the idea the law is too rigid, too out of date to accommodate new realities. Assistant 2. Shouldn't we consider bringing in an expert to speak to Bitcoin's nature, to cement its status as an asset subject to capital gains tax? An expert might help, but our final weapon is the law itself. We must prove that the law, as it stands, already accounts for situations like these. We must prove that the law isn't outdated, but rather foresighted. This is our battlefield now. The room falls silent as the team digests Isabel's words. The scene ends on a note of determination. The team poised to return to court with renewed vigour. End of scene. 
Scene shifts back to the courtroom. Isabel Lewis stands, ready to call in her witness. Isabel Lewis, Your Honour, the prosecution would like to call its witness to the stand. Dr. Harold Brewster, a renowned economist and an expert on cryptocurrency. The courtroom buzzes as Dr. Brewster, a distinguished-looking man with grey hair, takes the stand. Judge Pennington, Dr. Brewster, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Dr. Harold Brewster, I do, Your Honour. Isabel Lewis, Dr. Brewster begins his explanation. The attention of the courtroom is firmly on him. He finishes with his explanation of Bitcoin. Edward Garrick rises. Edward Garrick. Dr. Brewster, you agreed that Bitcoin is often treated as an asset, but isn't it also true that it is used as a medium of exchange, as a currency, in some parts of the world? Dr. Harold Brewster. Yes, that's true. In some places, like El Salvador, Bitcoin is recognised as legal tender. Edward Garrick. And in such places, if someone were to convert their Bitcoin into another currency, would that not be considered a forex transaction? Dr. Harold Brewster. In theory, yes, it would be considered a forex transaction. Edward Garrick. So you wouldn't agree that Bitcoin's nature is dual, that it can be both an asset and a currency, depending on the context. Dr. Harold Brewster. Well, yes, that's correct. Garrick. Dr. Brewster, could you please tell the court about your credentials? Dr. Brewster. Of course, I hold a PhD in economics from Cambridge University and currently serve as Professor of Economics at the London School of Economics. My research focuses primarily on digital currencies and their impact on global economic systems. Garrett, thank you, Dr. Brewster. You have a deep understanding of Bitcoin, don't you? I have spent the better part of a decade studying it, yes. So, if I were to use Bitcoin in El Salvador, I would be operating within the law. Dr. Brewster. Absolutely. Transactions conducted in Bitcoin would be treated as those conducted in the nation's traditional currency. Garrick. And in Britain, Dr. Brewster, how is Bitcoin classified? Dr. Brewster. As per HM's Treasury classification in 2014, Bitcoin is considered private property. Garrick. So, if Mr. Atwood were to conduct a transaction in El Salvador using Bitcoin, that would be a legal transaction. Dr. Brewster. Yes, that would be legal. And if Mr. Atwood were to bring those Bitcoins back to Britain, he would simply be bringing back his private property. Dr. Brewster. From an economic perspective, yes. But I should note I'm not a lawyer. Garrick. Thank you, Dr. Brewster. Your expertise has been illuminating. Isabel Lewis. Dr. Brewster, could you please explain to the court the primary use of Bitcoin? Dr. Brewster. Bitcoin can serve multiple purposes. Some use it as an investment 
others as a method of payment. Lewis, isn't it true that Bitcoin is often used for illegal transactions due to its anonymous nature? Dr. Brewster, Bitcoin does provide a level of anonymity which can be exploited for illegal activities. However, it's also used for many legal transactions. The same could be said for cash. Yet cash is regulated, Dr. Brewster. Bitcoin is not, correct? Bitcoin operates on a decentralized network. While it's not regulated in the traditional sense, the blockchain technology underlying Bitcoin provides a level of transparency and security. Lewis, but wouldn't you agree, Dr. Brewster, that the lack of regulation opens the door for people to avoid taxes? Dr. Brewster, as an economist, I can say that any form of wealth can be used to avoid taxes, not just Bitcoin. But the use of Bitcoin, like any other form of wealth or currency, should be subject to the same legal and ethical standards. Lewis, thank you, Dr. Brewster. Isabel Lewis returns to her seat, leaving the jury with a pointed thought about the potential misuses of Bitcoin. Garrick, rising. Dr. Brewster, Miss Lewis mentioned the possibility of tax evasion using Bitcoin. Could you elaborate on that? Dr. Brewster, well, as with any form of wealth, there is a possibility that it can be used to evade taxes. However, I'd like to clarify that using Bitcoin isn't synonymous with tax evasion. It's the actions of individuals, not the currency itself, that can lead to such infractions. Garrick. Exactly, Dr. Brewster. Now could you tell us how transactions using Bitcoin are traceable? Dr. Brewster. Absolutely. Every Bitcoin transaction is recorded on a blockchain, which is a public ledger. This means every transaction is traceable, making it difficult to use Bitcoin for nefarious purposes without leaving a digital trail. Garrick. So, in essence, a Bitcoin transaction, contrary to popular belief, isn't fully anonymous and traceable. Dr. Brewster. Yes, that's correct. Garrick. Thank you, Dr. Brewster. Your insights have been invaluable. Garrick returns to his seat, leaving the jury with a nuanced understanding of Bitcoin, its legality and its traceability. End of scene. Scene shifts to a quiet corner of the hallway outside the courtroom. Edward Garrick turning to Richard Atwood. Today was a good day, Richard. Brewster's admission that Bitcoin can be both a currency and an asset, it only strengthens our case. Richard Atwood. But will the jury see it that way, Edward? That's what matters. Edward Garrick. We can only hope. Remember, we're not trying just to win a case here. We're trying to challenge the existing system to create a precedent. The gravity of their task hangs heavy between them as they exit the courthouse ready to prepare for the next day of the trial. Scene. The next morning in the courtroom, the trial is about to resume. The atmosphere is tense. Judge Pennington. We shall now continue with the proceedings, Mr Garrick. You may call your first witness. 
Edward Garrick standing. Thank you, Your Honour. I call Mr Alejandro Ortega, the former finance minister for El Salvador, to the stand. The courtroom murmurs as Alejandro Ortega takes the stand. Judge Pennington, Mr Ortega, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Ortega, I do, Your Honour. Edward Garrick, turning towards Ortega. Mr Ortega, could you please explain to the court why El Salvador chose to recognise Bitcoin as legal tender? Alejandro Ortega. Of course, Mr Garrick. El Salvador made the decision to recognise Bitcoin as legal tender because we saw it as a way to enable economic growth. Bitcoin provides a medium of exchange that is decentralised and accessible to all, including those who have been excluded from traditional banking systems. Edward Garrick. And in El Salvador, if a person were to convert Bitcoin into, say, US dollars, would that be considered a taxable event? Ortega. No, Mr Garrick. That would be treated as a foreign exchange transaction, similar to if someone were to convert US dollars into our previous currency, the Salvadorian Colón. Edward Garrick. So in essence, in El Salvador, Bitcoin is indeed treated as a currency. Ortega. Yes, that is correct. Garrick. Thank you, Mr. Ortega. No further questions, Your Honour. Isabel Lewis looks pensive, readying herself to cross-examine. Ortega's testimony has further complicated the question at the heart of the trial. Is Bitcoin an asset or a currency? The answer seems to depend on who you ask and where you are. Isabel Lewis, rising. Mr. Ortega, you have testified that in El Salvador, Bitcoin is treated as a currency. However, isn't it true that the majority of the global community does not share this view? Alejandro Ortega. That's correct, Ms. Lewis. Most countries do not treat Bitcoin as a traditional currency. Isabel Lewis. And isn't it also true that the global economic and financial systems are not designed to accommodate such dual-natured entities? Ortega. Yes, that's true. Isabel Lewis. So while El Salvador might see Bitcoin as a currency, the reality is that the rest of the world, and indeed the existing global financial infrastructure, does not. Ortega. That is the current situation, yes. Lewis. Thank you, Mr. Ortega. Your Honour, no further questions. As Isabel Lewis returns to her seat, the courtroom buzzes. While Garrick has painted a compelling picture of Bitcoin as a currency, Isabel has reminded the court that this is not the prevailing view. Scene. Later that day, the trial continues with closing arguments from both sides. Edward Garrick, rising. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we have heard from experts and examined the facts. We've seen that Bitcoin can be both an asset and a currency, a duality that is not accounted for in our existing laws. If Mr. Atwood used Bitcoin as a currency, then it is not subject to capital gains tax, and Mr. Atwood therefore did not evade taxes. Isabel Lewis standing. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let us consider the tax laws that Mr. Atwood stands accused of violating. Firstly, we have the basic principle that all income, no matter its form, 
is subject to taxation. This includes gains made from the sale or exchange of assets. She pauses, letting her words sink in before continuing. In our case, the asset in question is Bitcoin. In 2014, HM Treasury classified Bitcoin as private property, not currency. This implies that any profits accrued from the selling or trading of Bitcoin should be treated as capital gains and thus subject to capital gains tax. She moves on, her voice steady and clear. The accused, Mr. Richard Atwood, has not denied that he made profits from Bitcoin transactions. What he denies, however, is his obligation to pay taxes on these gains. The crux of his argument hinges on the assertion that Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador and therefore exempt from British taxation laws. Yet this assertion conveniently ignores the fact that these transactions occurred within the United Kingdom and under British law. Bitcoin remains classified as property, not legal tender. Isabel pauses once again, looking at each member of the jury, Lewis. Thus, according to British tax law, Mr Atwood's profits from Bitcoin, classified as property, should have been declared as part of his income and taxed as such. The evasion of this obligation is what brings us here today. Members of the jury, the defence argues that Bitcoin is a currency, yet the rest of the world, our country and indeed our legal system sees it as an asset. Just because one country recognises it as legal tender does not change its status here in the United Kingdom. It does not absolve Mr Atwood from paying his taxes. You must hold him accountable. The courtroom is silent as the weight of their words sink in. The jury is left to deliberate the complex legal and philosophical questions posed by the trial. Is Bitcoin a currency or an asset? And does it really matter? Scene, the jury deliberation room. Twelve jurors are seated around a long table. A feeling of tension hangs in the air as they begin to discuss the case. Juror number one, leaning forward. I say we find him guilty. Bitcoin is an asset, as clear as day. He should have paid his taxes. Juror number two. But don't you see, it's not that simple. Bitcoin is also a currency, just like the defence said. We can't just ignore that. Juror number three. We are not here to interpret the laws, just apply them. And as far as our laws are concerned, Bitcoin is an asset. Juror number four. And yet, this case is not just about laws, it's about justice. It's about the spirit of the law, not just the letter. The discussion continues, echoing the complexities of the trial. Some jurors are firm in their stance, others uncertain. The conversation grows heated as they grapple with the question, is Richard Atwood guilty of tax evasion? Scene, the deliberation room. The jurors have broken off into clusters, engaged in hushed conversations. The room hums with the energy of their debates. Juror number five. What if we set a precedent here? What if we decide that Bitcoin is a currency, not an asset? It would have huge implications for our financial system. Juror number six. But that's exactly the point. This case could be a catalyst for change. If our financial system 
is unable to adapt to new realities, then perhaps it is time it evolved. Juror number seven. We're not lawmakers though. It's not our place to instigate such changes. Juror number eight. Perhaps not, but we have been called to interpret the law in this particular case. An interpretation always involves a degree of personal judgment. Across the room, another group of jurors is engaged in their own discussion. Juror number nine. Regardless of what Bitcoin is or isn't, the fact remains that Atwood avoided paying taxes. He sought to escape his obligations to the state. Juror number 10. But if he believed he was using Bitcoin as a currency and not an asset, can we really accuse him of evasion? Juror number 11. He knew what he was doing. He's a smart man, Atwood. He knew he was pushing the boundaries of the law. Juror number 12. Is pushing the boundaries the same as breaking them, though? The jurors grapple with the issues, their arguments going in circles. The tension in the room thickens, yet despite their disagreements, one thing is clear. They understand the gravity of their task. Their decision will not only determine Richard Atwood's fate, but it may also have significant implications for the legal status of Bitcoin and the future of the financial system. See, a few hours later, the jurors are visibly wary that the intensity of their debate has not diminished. Juror number three, we're not getting anywhere with this. Perhaps we should take a vote. Juror number one, I agree. Let's see where we stand. One by one, the jurors cast their preliminary votes. The room is silent except for the soft rustling of paper and the ticking of the clock on the wall. Juror number two, counting the votes. We have six votes for guilty, five for not guilty, and one undecided. The jurors look at each other, the reality of their task hitting home. They have a long way to go before they can reach a unanimous decision. The debate is far from over. Scene, hours later, the jurors, their faces drawn and weary, are still deliberating. Juror number four, rubbing his temples. We've been at this for hours, and we're no closer to a decision. Juror number seven, we knew this wasn't going to be easy. This is a landmark case. We have to get it right. Juror number six, the issue here is not about what Bitcoin is, but what it can be. And that is where our laws are falling short. Juror number five, but we can't base our decision on what might happen in the future. We have to look at the law as it stands now. Juror number 12. Or perhaps we need to acknowledge that our laws are inadequate in this instance. We've been handed a square peg and asked to fit it into a round hole. Across the room, the remaining jurors are deep in their own discussion. Juror number 10. Atwood didn't hide his actions. He was open about what he was doing. Doesn't that count for something? Juror number nine. It only counts if we're willing to ignore the fact that he failed to pay his taxes. Juror number 11. But if he genuinely believed he was within the bounds of the law, can we really accuse him of evasion? Juror number eight. 
That's the crux of the matter, isn't it? Intent. If Atwood didn't believe he was breaking the law, can we find him guilty? The room falls silent as they consider this. The question of intent brings a new layer of complexity to their deliberations. Scene. The late hours of the night, the jurors are visibly fatigued, but there is a sense of determination in the room. Juror number two. Perhaps we should take a vote. Has anyone's position changed? The jurors cast their vote. The result is the same. They are at a stalemate. The weight of their task is heavy on their shoulders. As they adjourn for the night, they know they have a challenging day ahead. Scene. Early next morning, the jurors return to the deliberation room, rejuvenated but equally anxious about the deadlock. Juror number three, pouring a cup of coffee. Last night was rough, but we need to find a way forward. This deadlock can't continue. Juror number one. We have to examine the evidence again, piece by piece. Maybe we missed something. As they delve back into the case, the jurors discuss each point with renewed vigour. They go over the testimonies, the cross-examinations and the closing arguments. They dissect Garrick's and Lewis's words, seeking a breakthrough in their understanding. Juror number six. Atwood's actions may have been questionable, but were they criminal? If Bitcoin is indeed a currency in some jurisdictions, can we fault him for treating it as such? Juror number five. But this isn't about what happens in other countries. It's about what our laws say right here in the UK. Juror number four. True, but we must also consider the spirit of the law, not just the letter. That is where the notion of justice comes into play. Across the table, another group of jurors is grappling with similar questions. Juror number nine. We cannot ignore the fact that Atwood sought to evade taxes, no matter his justifications. Juror number 12. But can we honestly say that he intended to break the law? From what we've heard, it seems like he genuinely believed he was acting within the legal framework. Juror number 10. And that's what makes this case so complex. It's not just about legality, but also about intent, morality, and the implications of our decision. Throughout the day, the jurors continue to debate, their discussions intense yet respectful. Their understanding of the case deepens, and slowly, their perspectives begin to shift. They take several votes throughout the day, and with each one, they inch closer to a consensus. Scene, late evening. The jury room is quiet. The jurors are deep in thought, processing the day's discussions. Juror number two. Let's take another vote. I have a feeling we might have made some progress. The votes are cast and counted. The room falls silent as the result is announced. The jury has reached a unanimous decision. End of scene. Scene. The courtroom buzzing with anticipation. The jury files in, their faces impassive. Richard Atwood, his lawyer, and the prosecution watch them intently. Judge, clearing his throat. Has the jury reached a verdict? Juror number one, standing. We have your honour.
Everyone in the courtroom holds their breath as juror number one hands over the verdict to the court clerk, who passes it to the judge. After reading it, the judge hands it back to the court clerk, who announces the verdict. Court clerk. In the case of the Crown versus Richard Atwood, on the count of tax evasion, the jury find the defendant not guilty. A gasp sweeps through the courtroom. Richard Atwood lets out a sigh of relief, his face a mix of exhaustion and gratitude. His lawyer, Edward Garrick, gives him a nod, a smile spreading across his face. Seen later outside the courtroom, the jury, free of their duty, disperse. Some are quiet, lost in thought. Others chat amongst themselves, relieved that their task is finally over. Juror number six to juror number four. Do you think we made the right decision? Juror number four, we made the best decision we could with what we had. The rest is up to the lawmakers. Seen farther away, Richard Atwood and Edward Garrick share a quiet moment. They know they've changed the course of legal and financial history. Atwood, I can't thank you enough, Garrick. We did it. Garrick, no, Richard, you did it. You dared to challenge the system, and you won. Atwood, I wonder what this means for the future. Garrick, I suppose we'll find out. For now, it's enough to know that the law and justice aren't always the same. Sometimes they need a nudge to align. Scene, a quiet corner outside the courtroom. Richard Atwood and Edward Garrick just out of the media's glare, reflect on the monumental decision. Atwood, looking at Garrick. We've made history today, haven't we, Garrick? Garrick, we have, Richard. But it's a history that carries a heavy responsibility. Atwood, you think the verdict could trigger a crisis? Garrick, not a crisis, Richard, more of a crossroads. This verdict has far-reaching implications for the tax law, the status of cryptocurrencies, even sovereignty. Atwood, you make it sound as if you've opened a Pandora's box. Garrick, smiling. No, Richard, what we've done is illuminate a path forward. The world is in the throes of a digital revolution, and the law is trying to catch up. This verdict could accelerate that process. Atwood, but could it also not lead to chaos, an economy without rules, rampant tax evasion, destabilisation? Garrick, possibly. But remember, Richard, every revolution is chaotic at first, and it is not an economy without rules we're moving towards, but an economy with new rules, rules that reflect our times. Atwood, you believe the law will adapt? Garrick. I believe in the power of human ingenuity, Richard. It's what led you to challenge the status quo, and it's what will lead our lawmakers to adapt to this new reality. Atwood. I hope you're right, Garrick, because if we've done nothing else, we've proven that the system can be challenged. It's a frightening thought, but also a liberating one. Garrick. That's the spirit, Richard. Embrace it. We've shaken the system, yes. But sometimes 
That's exactly what's needed to usher in progress. Atwood, pausing. We've changed the game, Garrick. Now, let's see how the players adapt. The two men stand in silence, understanding the magnitude of what they've achieved. They've challenged the system and emerged victorious, marking the start of a new chapter in financial and legal history. End of scene. End of play.